a black woman, it's been hard for me to find my my way in the church, find community and find acceptance in this world when I'm constantly dealing with images or ideals of beauty or of acceptance that don't look like me in my brown skin. Hi, I'm Mary DeMuth and this is The Restory Show. And today I am welcome, welcoming sorry, Oshita Moore to the podcast. And she is the author of Shalom Sisters, which I'm super excited to hear about. Oshita, welcome to the show. Hey, Mary. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so I am just grateful for uh, your your story and excited to hear about this. this. <laughs> Boy, it's been a crazy day already. Excited to hear about the story that you're going to share with our listeners today. Well, thanks. I'm excited to share. Awesome. Uh, so um, tell us a little bit about your background, your kind of your origin story of uh, just who you are, and then we'll get into the story you want to share. Yeah. So my name's Oshita Moore. Um, I am I live in St. Paul, Minnesota right now, even though I am a Texas girl. I'm from Southeast Texas, a little town called Texas City, Texas, which is near Galveston. Um, and I was in Texas all the way through most of my college, and I met this guy uh, at a mission on a mission trip in New Orleans. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I know, right? <laughs> my college, my young adult group went to New Orleans for an urban, kind of like urban plunge. We did an urban ministry during Mardi Gras, met him, um, we fell in love with each other, and then moved into New Orleans to do uh, intentional urban core development. We were very into John Perkins' CCDA model. Um, so we moved to New Orleans, and then Katrina happened. And we evacuated because of Hurricane Katrina, moved to Boston, where my husband went to seminary. And I had, I had, we had a three-year-old, uh, we had one kid in, in New Orleans. He was three at the time that we evacuated. And I was eight and a half months pregnant with our second. So when we moved to Boston, had those, had that boy, that baby boy, and then six months or no, 11 months later, had another baby. I was going to say six months would be really <laughs> fast. <laughs> no, six weeks later, we found like, like six or seven weeks later, we found out we were pregnant with that. With oh, Arthur. goodness. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and my husband's part Irish, so I can, I feel like I can make this joke, but they are Irish twins because they are born in the same calendar year. Um, so yeah, we were in Boston for 10 years. My husband went to seminary. We planted a church there. And then we moved to LA for a few years for him to take, uh, to work at a church uh, that is, meets three blocks away from Skid Row. And then recently my husband took a lead pastor job here in St. Paul, which we absolutely loved. I missed uh, winter so very much when we were in LA. So uh, yeah, I'm just sitting right here looking out at the, it's snowing and just so thankful to like see the park completely covered in white. So that's a little bit about me and my family. But in addition to all that, I'm a I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast called Shalom Sisters, which is the same title as my book, um, where I talk, it's a podcast for peacemakers. So we talk about what does it mean to be peacemakers in our everyday lives? Um, we look at it through the lens of the Hebraic concept of Shalom, which I think creates more space and on-ramp for all of us to be peacemakers in cool ways than sort of like the way that we traditionally think about peacemakers, um, either like really docile and wonderful and delightful people who avoid conflict at all costs or people who have devoted their lives and their work to the diplomatic work of peacemaking. But I think Jesus is our Prince of Peace no matter what. He's always our Prince of Peace. And so how do we, as Jesus followers, figure out how to be peacemakers that reflect his peace, reflect his peace teachings in our lives? And so that's 
that's kind of what my podcast and my blog and my book are all about. Like, how can we be peacemakers in a world that feels like so riddled with chaos and conflict and brokenheartedness? And I love that you're doing that. I feel like so many times uh, when I turn on the news and I, actually it just kind of comes to you these days, <laughs> there's, a, we're, there's so much conflict. And I would love for you before we get into your story, just to talk a little bit about the Hebrew concept of shalom, because I think there's something really beautiful about that word and what it means. Yeah. So one of my favorite theologians said that if we want to have great theology, we have to start in the garden. We have to start at the beginning where God first said it is good and build all of our thoughts around God and the way that we should be living out our discipleship of Jesus based on the wholeness and beauty of the garden. And so when I think of the concept of shalom, a lot of people, a lot of us think peace and that, that, that is kind of true, but um, it lacks that depth that comes with when we think about shalom as a whole concept, a whole a whole way of being. I like to say that shalom is God's dream for the world as it should be. Um, I love that. Missing. Yeah, yeah, nothing missing, nothing broken, everything made whole. It's exactly how God designed it and wanted it to be. And and obviously, like our best picture of that is in the garden. So in in the garden, God said it is good creation was good, mankind or humankind was good, relationships were good, being naked and unashamed was good. And so when we think about our practices of peacemaking, when we think of ourselves as peacemakers, as working, creating spaces of goodness, that same it is goodness in our lives that um, that is reflected in the garden, then I think that we can find, like I said, on-ramps for peacemaking. So that's why for the longest, I stopped calling myself a peacemaker. I started calling myself a shalom sister because I wanted to be somebody that focuses on shalom and focuses on that holistic picture of everything being made right as an act of peacemaking and not just, oh, I avoid conflict or I'm super zen or I'm super sweet at this one moment of my life because the reality, Mary, is I'm a little sassy and and I'm not your typical like, you know, quiet and calm peacemaker. And I think that there's space for us who are outspoken, who have voices, who want to stand up and speak out against brokenness for us to do that and still consider ourselves peacemakers because we're working our way back to that essential it is goodness of the garden. Well, and I know uh, just because we talked before the show, I I know the story that you're going to share today, or I know at least the content of it. And so my question is, how do you shake hands with yourself? How do you make peace with yourself? And I know for you, it was um, part of your story is making peace with your African-American identity. So why don't you delve into that story a little bit? Yeah, so I want to, the story I want to share, I really like, uh, I really like this opportunity, Mary, because it almost feels like I get to do a little deep dive on, on all the things I didn't get to include in my chapter That's about awesome. my African-American identity, identity because um I wrote this chapter called In This Brown Skin, We Will See the Beauty, um, where I talk about how as a as a black woman, um, it's been hard for me to find my my way in the church, um, find uh, community and find acceptance in this world um, when I'm constantly dealing with images or ideals of beauty or of acceptance that don't look like me in my brown skin. And then when, so the, the, so my story starts, um, I first started questioning, um, or starting to think about maybe 
I need to make peace with this skin that I have, that, that, that God made me. And he said, it is good. There's an essential, it is goodness in my brown skin. Um, and that I don't have to hate myself or hate that I'm African-American. And it started because it started when um, I met that, that boy in New Orleans. Um, he's white. And uh, he, the very first thing he said to me, it's, well, for context, we were at, <laughs> we, were, we were doing chapel service uh, because that's what you do on a mission trip. You go serve all day and then you go get right with God at the end of the night. Um, <laughs> and so we were at this chapel service and, and this particular service uh, uh, was really meaningful for me. I'm from the Assembly of God tradition. And so you, they know how to do an altar service like no joke. Yeah, and, that's so true. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? awesome. <laughs> And we were singing I Surrender All at like over and over again. Of course and they, you were. <laughs> of course. And then that moment, Mary, where they kick it up to that next octave. So you make sure you're really surrendering it all. <laughs> I was there at the altar crying and weeping and really doing some work with God because I was feeling like God was asking me to um, devote myself to full-time ministry in, in the inner city. And I was not for that because I was in college to get my education degree, move back to my hometown, you know, go to my home church that I was, I went, I was to uh, when I was a kid, you know, just do that hometown girl life. I was not interested in moving to a, a dirty, broken, you know, dangerous city, but God was asking me to do that. And so I was crying at the altar and I get up to go back to my, uh, my chair to grab my things to go back to the dorm. And I'm, I walk by this guy and he, he kind of taps my, my hand as I walk by to stop me. And he says, I hope you don't mind me telling you this, but I think you're beautiful. Wow. I know, right? I <laughs> love it. <laughs> I know. And this was like in the midst of purity culture. Like we both had kids dating goodbye. So this was great. <laughs> That was um, brave. I know. And and he tells it like he was just sitting there thinking like, why is it wrong for a man to acknowledge beauty in a woman? And it has nothing to do with lust or desire, like just honoring that she's a beautiful person and wanted to call that out. And um, and so obviously he kind of won my heart a bit there. With that. <laughs> just a little. And, just a little. And so we, you know, we eventually end up getting married and in the chapter, I talk about how on our honeymoon, we were kind of reflecting as couples do uh, when we about, you know, when we first met and all the things that we loved about each other. And I said, you know, I find it so surprising that you said that you think I'm beautiful. And he was like, why? And I was like, I just have always felt not beautiful. And in my mind, I didn't think that uh, a white guy would ever love me. I had a boy in high school who was my best friend in high school and he was a white guy and he started to develop a crush on me. And he, one day after school told me like, I don't think we can be friends anymore because I have a crush on you. And if we continue hanging out, I'm going to want to date you. And my dad said that the races don't mix. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. So that was a very formative moment for me and sort of wrestling with, oh, is there something essentially wrong with me? Like I could be a great person. I could love the Lord with all my heart. But if I'm black in a predominantly white context, will I never be truly accepted? Um, and I mean, I, that comment that that boy made 
touched on something that was already kind of I was wrestling with because in my family, my mom is very light skinned. She has red hair and green eyes. You would not know that she's African-American. We have the whole spectrum of, of uh, hues in our family. My sister is a little bit lighter than me. My, my brother is a little bit darker than me. My dad is very dark. And so, and I always felt like my mom, my sisters and my mom who were lighter than me were more beautiful than I was. And so um, to continue having these messages that somehow as a black person, um, I'm, you know, not as beautiful or not as accepted. Um, I once heard somebody say, you're really pretty for, for a black girl. Oh, and- <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, and so to have this guy who never met me um, say, I, I think you're beautiful, and then marry me, um, I was telling him, like, wow, I just did not think that that um, could happen for me. And my husband is so kind in that he re- he recognized that there was some work that needed to happen in me and, and owning my identity as a black woman and loving, loving the skin that I'm in and making peace with the skin that I'm in. And so he has been my biggest encouragement to, you know, look at images of beautiful black women and call them out and to say, I look pretty or I look good and, and, and acknowledge like, oh, I'm, I'm beautiful in my black skin and that God didn't make a mistake. Like I have memories of when I was a little girl that I would sit in my tub and put bleach in my bath water to try to rub my complexion. And I think it all goes back to this idea that I talk a little bit about this in the chapter that, you know, there are these standards of beauty. And I think all of us as women have some standard of beauty that if we don't work and we're not aware of that, we feel like we don't quite fit in, that we don't quite fit. And so we do terrible things to our bodies in order to make ourselves fit that picture of a beautiful woman. And I think in our country, we're starting to realize that that struggle is you is unique and maybe even a little bit harder for women of color because of things like white supremacy, where you know white images of beautiful images of beautiful white women are what we normally see in media or in magazines, and we think, well, I can never aspire to that because I'm a completely different race. So where does where do I fit in that? And so I had to do my own work to think, how do I get back to that? essential it is goodness god made my body and the, god god was not surprised that i came out black he wasn't like oh this is too much melanin there <laughs> <laughs> um i'm exactly the way god wanted me to be and i think for for me as a black woman i had to come to that and say god made me good and then live out of that and i think Living out of that has helped me enter into conversations around race from a place of wholeness and not insecurity because I can say there's nothing intrinsically intrinsically wrong with me as a black woman. And yet I go through this life in this body and I have these experiences. So let's have a conversation about where how does race play into the way we interact with each other on a Sunday morning, you know, at on a coffee date, on Twitter when we're talking about something like a shooting. Um, how can I be my full self? my full black self in that and not feel any shame. I love that. And I, I think what you said about standards of beauty is, is something uh, we as Christian women really need to just tear that down brick by brick because it's ridiculous. And um, 
the ideal isn't even real. So whether it's, you know, the color of your skin or the size of your body, it's like, it's all photoshopped mostly anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, totally and unless I have like an airbrush, you know, air sprayer around me, spraying me wherever I go to kind of airbrush <laughs> my imperfections, no one's going to know me that way. And we can look great in our profile pictures. Um, but the reality is that all of us are just humans and trying to strive for this creepy perfection is and and who's to say what's perfect i think that's where it gets really oppressive and i kind of have to think that there's spiritual warfare involved in this and that's kind of what i want to ask next is when you were like shaking hands with your identity what kind of spiritual warfare did you um butt up against or what kind of lies did you believe about yourself that that were problematic as you began to make peace with yourself Mm -hmm. that's a really good question i think that one of the things that I noticed that I would do is I would have to overcompensate in other areas of my life to make up for the fact that I'm black or to make up for the fact that I don't feel like I fit into a certain ideal. Um, and so, you know, maybe I was really well read. And so I could quote a, like an obscure theologian, like no joke. And it wasn't because I love theology, which I do, but it was because I needed something to overcompensate to say like, Oh, well, I'm really, really great at this area. Respect and love me and accept me for this because I'm somehow imperfect over here. And so one of the things that I had to, that a lie that I constantly had to butt up against was like, you're not enough. You're not enough. Just the way you are is not enough. And, and so I had to, recognize that that was a, like, as in Galatians 5, 1, that was a, a yoke of slavery and it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So I had to say, that's a, that's a yoke of slavery that not enough. And Christ has already set me free of that. And so I don't have anything to prove. Um, God says I'm enough. God loves me just the way I am. He delighted the moment I woke up this morning. Like, and there's nothing that I can do to earn more of his love or his acceptance. And there's nothing I can do to ever lose that. And so that was one thing that I had to really focus against uh, or fight against. Um, another thing that I had to fight against was shame that other people didn't get it, get, didn't get my journey, didn't get my experience, um, didn't get, you know, why it's so important for me to have on my Instagram feed a picture of me wearing a headscarf. Um, not because, you know, I'm trying to make a political statement, but because I don't feel like, you know, flat ironing my hair because I wear <laughs> my hair naturally. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. But I really love wearing a headscarf when, like on days today when I'm just puttering around the house and enjoying the lovely snow outside with my chai, um, you know, and being okay with that. Or I have a, a biracial daughter. And so one of the things that I've been really trying to be intentional about is her owning both parts of her identity. She has a white father and a black mother and both are good and both parts of herself are good. And so my daughter and I, I feel really passionate about making sure that we have conversations where she says things like black girl magic, or she owns the fact that she's equally black and white, or she went, there was a season where my daughter was asking to have a black teacher because she wanted to have a teacher that looked like her. And that was so special for me, but 
I had to have, I shared that on, on, you know, social media with friends and some of my friends just would not get it. They would think I'm being divisive or making something up that's not there or be maybe being too radicalized or things like that. And one thing that I had to fight against was that I'm not responsible for their journey. I'm only responsible for my journey and the things that God's teaching me on this journey and the things that the spirit is leading me to do for my own sense of wholeness and in shalom and my children's wholeness in shalom. And so I had to fight against that compulsion to make sure that everybody understands what I'm saying and accept and validate me. I know that God is with me and God is leading me on this journey and I don't need anybody else to validate that. I think that's really strong. And I think a lot of people can relate to that because especially in the realm of social media and that's that'll be my next question in just a second (laughs) but uh yeah that's a whole nother can of worms we're going to open but um i want to pause this briefly and say if you'd like to continue to hear stories like oshita's which is an amazing story and i'm so grateful for it consider being a patreon sponsor you can watch for the new exclusive benefits that are coming up for patrons including a secret podcast just for you every month and you'll find a patreon button in the show notes so oshita uh how have you you framed your story or how I guess when you when you shared that on social media about your daughter wanting to have a similar skinned teacher and people pushed back how how do you think we can have or is it possible to have shalom on social media Yes, I really <laughs> how, do. How? I really think this, and, and I, 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 and I think this is part of the reason why, Mary, I got into blogging to begin with. So my husband has been blogging for like a couple, of, like maybe 10, 15 years now. He's like a grandfather with blogging, but <laughs> old he, guy kept telling, exactly, he kept telling me I needed to blog about some of the things that I was working through and going through, not just around race, but just motherhood or ministry or whatever. And I was terrified. I was terrified because I saw how people went at each other um, just with no civility, completely, uh, rejecting or ignoring the hu- the human on the other side of those, you know, pixels and paragraphs. Like I did not want to enter into that space and add to the conflict or get chewed up by the conflict. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't want to do it. But one thing that I made my goal from the moment I started writing or anytime I interact on um, social media. And I think that has served me well in seeking and being a peacemaker, seeking shalom on social media is that I tell myself before I write anything, I remind myself that just as God delights in me, like I said earlier, just as God, just there's an essential, it is goodness in who I am and the way that God made me. That is the same for the other person on the other side of this conversation. That username is not just, uh, you know, Dallas Dancer 19 or whatever. That username is an actual person that God loves, that Jesus died for and has, has proclaimed immeasurable, unsurpassable worth, right? And so starting at that place, every single time I want to engage in a conversation, tempers that desire to be right. Um, and it helps me be more thoughtful in the way that I express myself. Um, also, I am not my ideas. I am not, I'm not my, I, I'm, I'm not my ideas. And so, you know, my ideas can change and shift. I know me in my mid thirties think about things so differently than I did in my mid twenties or my teens, right? 
And so while I'm passionate about things um, right now and I share what I'm passionate about and I, and I, you know, start conversations, my identity is not wrapped up in that, in that philosophy or that idea. And if I can release that and get my identity from Christ and remember that the people on the other end are beloved by Christ, if I can do those two things, I feel really confident that I can stay above the conflict on social media. For instance, I just preached at a church in Canada and somebody wrote me a really long email. They were very unhappy with some of the things I preached because I preached about how we can be peacemakers in this conversation on race. And I had to do that because, I mean, it did hurt that because I thought I, in that message, I was very gracious and gave a lot of space for people to feel like they were not being attacked in this conversation. And yet she still felt attacked. And so I had to step back and say, my identity is not wrapped up in my in my sermon that I just preached. My identity is not wrapped up in my ideas. And this woman's identity is one of beloved. And then I was able to enter in. And I'm, I, I feel like I've entered a place where I'm, I am more often proud of the emails that I send than not. And I can't say that for when email first came out because I was a teenager. But <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that we can definitely do that if we hold those two things together before we move forward. I think that that would change the tone of our conversations. I definitely think that social media has been used to hurt a lot of people. So the more that we can use social media to uplift and to honor the Imago Day that that you know that concept of we're all made in the image of God. The more that we can use social media for that, I think we're being fantastic peacemakers. I love that. I think um, being able to see that, yes, the image of God in, in each other, the, the question I have, and you might not have the answer to it, and I don't know that I have the answer to it, but why do you think people are so angry on social media? Mm. Well, I mean, I don't know that I have the right answer, but I think that, <laughs> I think that helplessness has a lot to do with that. I think when people are helpless, um, they will use whatever they can to sort of fill a sense of power and to fill a sense of being in control of something. And social media, there—I mean, there's a lot of control because you don't have to deal with the pushback. You can put right, anything right. you want there, and it doesn't matter how hateful or how angry or how insensitive it is. You could just get your truth out there, and and it may not even be your truth. You can just get your perspective out there and then you can just walk away and feel a little bit like you're in control. You're in charge. Um, I think anger is a fantastic fuel to the flame of conflict and, um, vitriol. And so I think that when people are angry about things because they feel helpless, because they feel powerless, they use social media as a weapon, um, or and maybe not even a weapon, but an outlet that then becomes a weapon. I think you're right. And I think uh, one of the things we've lost with social media is a table spirituality where we would never act that way if we were sitting around a dinner table with someone. <laughs> and we've we've lost the dinner table in our society. And I, I'm desperately trying to bring it back. But it's a very small revolution. And most people don't eat dinner together anymore. So it makes it hard. You know, one of the things that I did for a season, there is somebody online that was really, really frustrating me. Like every single time they posted something, it just fired me up. And I, I had to practice what I think is enemy love, Jesus loving his enemies. I had to practice that by intentionally looking at pictures of them online and learning more about their backstory, learning more about where they came from, watching 
not watching videos of them as they are as an as adult, but going back and maybe seeing if I can find pictures of them as a child or as a teenager. And I, for me, I had to, it was an intentional practice of humanizing that other person in a in a in a space in a time and and when I don't have that opportunity to sit across with them at a table and share a meal with them and be vulnerable and remember that they're human. So I, I think it's harder, but I think the more we, the more we are intentional about, you know, utilizing all the different ways that we can humanize people, I think it gets us a little closer to that, that beautiful table fellowship, you know, that we all really need. Yeah. I love that. I think that's awesome to look back and, and try to, I remember way back in college and I was super immature. There was a woman who kind of thwarted me in my ministry and uh, she's actually was actually right in retrospect. But at the time I thought, oh my gosh, and I couldn't think of anything positive about her. And later was very convicted about that. Like people are not 100% evil unless maybe they're Hitler or something. But <laughs> other than that, I mean, they, we, they've got, like you said, they have other sides to them and and so it's important we, we realize that. So I have a couple more questions. What advice would you give to someone who's gone through a similar experience in terms of shaking hands with their reflection in the mirror? Hmm. Well, I think that the first thing I had to do was say, to, was to be really present in the body that I have now. So not not feel like, oh, if I could only, you know, do this to my hair, then it'll, you know, be prettier. Or if I could do this to my body, it might be, in my case, lighter or like complexion wise. But for me, I had to be really present and in the body that I have now. One thing that helped me was doing this thing called imaginative prayer, where I, for, for many many days, I would just sit and imagine Jesus sitting with me and telling me, you look great today. Like your, your hair is awesome today. Like, I'm really thankful that you came out this complexion. Like I had to have these moments where I imagined Jesus just speaking acceptance and love over me in the body that I have now. So that would be the first thing is to just, is to sit in the body you have now and invite the Holy Spirit to speak acceptance over it in whatever whatever way works best for you. Imaginative prayer worked for me. Maybe looking in a mirror and praying and or whatever will work, but invite the Holy Spirit to guide you on that journey. Um, I think one thing that was really helpful for me is to find, is I have a whole secret Pinterest board because I don't want to put my business out there quite just yet, but I, ho- I have a whole secret Pinterest board of, women who are my same shape and complexion and that are dressed beautifully or that are on covers of magazines. And I will go back and look at that sometimes, not for validation, but just to, just to see, you know, they are beautiful too. And if I look at them and say that they're beautiful, then I have no right to look at myself and say that I'm not beautiful. Um, Cause a beauty is such a tricky thing, isn't it, Mary? Yeah. I mean, like on one hand it can be like, we're so vain to even care about it? Why are we even having this conversation? But on the other hand, God is creative. God created beauty. And part of our practice of shalom is calling out that beauty. So I think that for me, the spirituality of sitting in my skin and inviting the Holy Spirit to speak acceptance, and then the practical looking at other images of women who look like me and say, she's beautiful, I'm beautiful too, kind of tempers both of those kind of propensities to 
be out of whack. Um, and then I would just say, be super vulnerable with the people who are in your life and let them know, yeah, I'm, I am going, I'm on this journey of self-acceptance, of shaking hands with my identity, of loving the image in the mirror. Um, anything you can do to pray for me, to encourage me, to speak life into that, um, would be so appreciative because I think that the lies gain power and fester in the darkness. And so we need to bring those to light by letting the people we know that we're going through that. So like I said, my husband was such a huge support to me, but if I had never, if I was never vulnerable with him about that, like, yeah, I really struggle with that. He would have never known to encourage me towards that. Yeah, I think we need to be honest about it and not be afraid of our journey. I think that's a really wise thing to say. So as you look back over the past year, how has God restoried you? How has he given you a new story? Mm. Well, I think this race thing or this like African-American identity thing, I feel like I'm much more confident in it in this, pa- in, in this past year. Um, and so it hasn't been as much a an issue of, oh, am I okay in my skin? Um, it's actually been things like, oh, I'm a different size than I am now. And Facebook reminding me of pictures from like 15 years ago. Is that helpful? No, it's not. not. <laughs> not that's not helpful for me. And so I, I've had to do the same thing to be restored around accepting myself. But this time it's around my size and my shape. And uh, and the fact that I'm getting older and so my metabolism has slowed down and now I have to do different things. And, and so that has been for me, this new journey of God saying, I love you. I accept you. You're beautiful. Just the way you are. Um, you can make healthy changes. I'm here for you for that. Like I feel like Shalom is wholeness. And so if there's an area of my life where I'm not eating properly, then I'm not living wholeheartedly. So God, I feel like God has <clears throat> been, next to me in that whole process. Also, I think fundamentally my story has changed from not enough or not beautiful or you're pretty for a black girl to you're beloved. And I think that that, that belovedness from Christ um, really has transformed the way I look at myself because I'm loved no matter what, no matter what size, no matter my complexion, um, no matter if I forget to do the laundry and then my kids have to go to school in dirty clothes and then I feel like I missed a bar, you know, like all these things, all the things that we say uh, precludes us from acceptance or love. That word beloved, that idea, like that idea of beloved, I really love Henry Nowen's Life of the Beloved. Like that has reshaped my identity and that has given me a new story. I love that. Thank you, Oshita, so much for sharing your heart and your story on the Restory Show today. I, I really appreciate you. Thank you. I've been so honored to be here. It's always a gift to share my story. And thanks for being just a, like a kind and open and gracious um, hearer of my story. That's that's huge. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Restory Show today. Mind if I pray for you? So, Lord Jesus, I pray for Oshida. I pray for her family. I pray for her husband and his job in Minnesota. I pray about the snow. I pray, um, I pray protection over her family, and I thank you for her openness. I thank you for her willingness to see her identity in you and to find you in herself and to just lay her life down in that time when she was in front of the church just surrendering and how beautiful that is and Lord I pray that that would be 
a message all of us could take to heart this week that we would even sometime this week get on our hands and our knees and our face before you and say whatever it is you want us to do Lord we choose to follow you despite what it might look like and Lord we also pray for those folks who are struggling on social media who um, who are so angry and just feel powerless as Osha just said and I, I pray that you would heighten our awareness of our words and help us to be shalom sisters and shalom brothers, people that uh, share words that honor you. Help us to, like Oshita, help us to look at pictures of folks when they were younger and to realize that every person behind the pixel is an image bearer. And Lord, we just thank you for giving us another day of life, of breath, and ability to move and enjoy you. And we just revere you and we praise your name and we worship you with everything within us and pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So if you'd like to know a little bit more about today's show, go to RestoryShow.com for the latest episode information. And uh, also, if you'd like to leave your own little four-minute story, you can go to MaryDemune.com. On the right-hand side, you'll see a microphone, and you can record up to four minutes, and we'll tack it on to the end of an episode. And so may you live a brand new story this week.